0: Hey everyone, it's Mike with Practicing Catholic, back with another episode. Today, we're going to be talking about the gift of grace. Very important to our faith life, not just here during this time of Lent, but something that can really help us unlock more in our faith every day. So, let's get ready to practice. Well, thank you to everyone for tuning in to the podcast, we really appreciate that. Uh, I'm flying solo today, so I'm going to do my best to... Uh, really, uh, maybe provide some greater insight into this great gift we receive from God that's available to us called grace. First, I'm just going to start with uh, the opening of the Catechism, uh, paragraph 1987. The grace of the Holy Spirit has the power to justify us, that is, to cleanse us from our sins and to communicate to us the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful, beautiful way that they open uh, the teaching on the gift of grace. Uh, The grace is is certainly necessary in so many different ways. Uh, We, in order to grow in faith, hope, and charity, the theological virtues, it's not by any of our own means. It's truly by the grace of God. And that's the part about grace that we, we need to maybe kind of open our minds and our hearts to is grace is certainly given to us in those times when we need it. Uh, I'm sure we can maybe sit back and think about those moments in our lives where we had the words to say, but we didn't know how we had the words to say. We had the strength to carry through some difficult situation that was before us, and and it was really God's grace that carried us in that difficult time. And so grace um, can be missed. So when we become more attuned to grace, when we become more aware of its true power in our life, I think it really can help us grow closer to the Lord. You know, with with grace, it's really a call uh, for us to to become participants in the life of the Trinity. That's what God desires. He desires our conversion to to a holier life and a life called to proclaim and to bring the gospel to others. You know, one of the things that. I was thinking about, or as preparing for this, is how sin detaches us from the grace of God. And I gave this example many, many uh, months ago in, in youth group, actually this past summer. We were standing there, we were talking about sanctifying grace. And sanctifying grace, it, which we'll talk about here in a little bit, is a habitual grace. But it's necessary for a right relationship with God. So what I did as, a, as I was presenting this, I just kind of wanted you to close your eyes and think about this example Venial sin kind of distorts the picture of the TV. If you've ever been watching a show and you kind of, maybe it buffers a little bit, slows down for a second, that's what, that kind of is what venial sin does to us. But mortal sin completely disconnects us from the grace of God. So, unplug your TV from the wall. Is the TV broken? No, it's just not plugged into the proper power source. God's our power source. And mortal sin prevents us from, from that ability to receive sanctifying grace. But one thing about grace is that it's restorative, meaning that by going through the sacrament of reconciliation, we receive the forgiveness of those mortal sins in our life, which enable us to what? Reconnect to God and begin to receive sanctifying grace again. So sin detaches us from God. Whether it's venial, or in in more serious cases, mortal sin. So I, I wanted to point out a couple things as we were talking about this. You know how we how we live our life, our works is important, right? This is sometimes a, a, a something that could be very confusing, right? Oftentimes uh, we hear from uh, from our Protestant brothers and sisters, you know, sola scriptura, faith alone, works do not matter. Uh, but, and, and that often comes from Romans 10, 9, for if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But, you know, in looking at St. Paul, uh, who I really reflected on a lot, he, while he believed in grace, right, it didn't mean that works were not important to him. So I kind of want to unlock a little bit of, of St. Paul. So as you're reading St. Paul, you can begin to see how his teaching of grace can help uh, bring you closer to the Lord. Uh, because in Romans 2, you know, before, before Romans 10, he actually says, By your stubbornness and your impure heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself. For the day of wrath and revelation of the judgment of God, who will repay everyone according to his works? And so when we when we read Paul, we have to do what's called a little bit of a uh, Catholic anthropology, understanding his works. Right. When Paul is referring to the word works, he's referring in many cases to the Mosaic law. OK, now, why do I say that? So Paul, Paul was a Pharisee prior to becoming St. Paul. He was Saul. He was a Pharisee. So there were two ruling groups at the time of, of, of Christ. In the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin was uh, approximately seventy people, uh, both Sadducees and Pharisees. Okay, two different uh, ruling groups within the Jewish faith. The Sadducees were the kind of the elite upper class. Some distinctions about their group: Uh, they believed in the Torah, the Pentateuch, the five books, uh, first five books of the Gospel, or of the Bible. Pardon me. However, they did not really hold or believe in the oral tradition of the Jewish faith. They did not believe in the idea of the Messiah. Okay, and they also did not believe in the afterlife, they did not believe that when the, they believed when the body died, so did the soul. The Pharisees, on the other hand, the other group, um, they believed in the Messiah. Granted, now, when they were, when you know, their idea of Messiah was military leader, we kind of talked about that a little bit in our, our understanding of the Beatitudes. Um, you got to think about, you know, in, in the Jewish faith, in the history of the Jewish people. Great leaders arose to help overthrow oppressive regimes and conquer their enemies. The first was Moses, helping lead them out of of slavery in Egypt to the Promised Land. Moses died before that. Aaron took over. And what did they do? They had to conquer the Promised Land. Aaron was a military general, had great success. We We hear of the fall of Jericho under Aaron's leadership. King David... Many years later, he he becomes the great leader who, again, over, you know, conquers the enemies uh, of the Jewish people, recapturing the promised land. So they believed in the Messiah, but the Messiah, again, was more of a, a military leader that they were hoping for. They believed in the afterlife. They did believe in the resurrection. Okay, and they believed in a strict adherence to the Mosaic law. Okay, and and the Mosaic Law, just so everyone understands, you can find most of this in the book of Leviticus, right? The Mosaic Law touched on so many different things. It talked about how to live in community. It talked about sacrifice laws. It talked about uh, the cleanliness laws. It talked about the dietary laws. It talked about uh, how to live in greater community with those who were not of the Jewish faith the the book of Leviticus has a tremendous tremendous amount of information uh, I'm, just going to share a couple different things uh, first um, You know as it relates to uh, Dietary law that actually comes in chapter 11 of Leviticus and you know here they um, are talking about what's clean and unclean food uh, for example the rabbit, though it chews its cud, does not have a divided hoof. It's unclean for you. You couldn't eat a rabbit. Pigs, um, again, were uh, seen as unclean animals, could not eat those animals. Uh, how they prepared their meal was important. When they ate was important. Uh, what they ate and when they ate what they ate is, was important and still is. For example, today, uh, those Orthodox Jews, uh, if they consume meat, they will wait six hours before they have any form of dairy to ensure that they're, they're following the Mosaic law, the law given to Moses um, as it relates to how they eat. There were laws regarding customs, especially around childbirth. For example, if a, if a family had a boy, the, woman, uh, the mother, the woman was unclean for seven days. On the eighth day was the circumcision um, of, the, of the boy. That occurred on the eighth day. That happened in Jesus's own life. On the eighth day, we see the presentation of the Lord. Mary and Joseph were Jewish. They were following that 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 law, adhering to what Moses had taught. Now, if they had a daughter, the woman was con- considered to be unclean for fourteen days. It was different. Uh, they had laws regarding how they how they planted fields. Uh, For example, in in, uh, chapter 19, you will see that you do not plant your field with two different kinds of seed. Um, You do not wear clothing woven of two different kinds of material. It's a lot of laws. There's actually uh, approximately, what, 613 Torah laws uh, for the people to follow. And so what we see in St. Paul, the great apostle, was how he unlocked uh, his conversion unlocked truly the depth of grace. Now, Paul fully admits he's a Pharisee. You know, in Acts 22, uh, before the Sanhedrin, he actually says, I, I'm I'm a brother, I'm a Pharisee, descended from Pharisees. I stand on trial because of the hope and the resurrection of the dead. Right, And actually started an argument between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. So, Paul's understanding of the Messiah and of the law is very important with regard to his teaching of gentile people you know for paul he he's ministering to a group of people who were primarily non-jewish right so the understanding of the torah law was was not not necessary for them he recognized that their understanding and acceptance of Christ as being the Son of God in the second part of the Trinity and completing and creating salvation for all, he unlocked that understanding that enabled them to say, look, it's not following these 613 rules that are going to make you holy. It's faith. It's faith in Christ. But again, it doesn't mean that works aren't important. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is, is urging the population to live a better lifestyle uh, because issues were arising in the church at Corinth. Uh, he says, Therefore, I urge, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life. In Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Right? And in the rest of the rest of his letter, first letter to the Corinthians, he's beginning to address problems within the faith community. He begins to address sexual immorality. In chapter five, in chapter six, he he addresses lawsuits amongst believers. In chapter seven, he, he addresses married life, not from a Hellenistic perspective, but, but from a, a perspective of a new Christian viewpoint especially as it related to sexual immorality uh, that was occurring now within potentially marriages in the church. He's addressing food sacrifices to idols and how, um, you know, while they understand it's not uh, for some, they may be okay with eating that, not causing our brothers and sisters to potentially sin, meaning that if they ate the food from a temple, right, of a temple idol, um, the, 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 those who were weaker in their faith could go back and believe in those idols again. And so we're not to cause our brothers and sisters to sin. It's very profound. And in Ephesians five, he provides instructions for Christian households. In Romans twelve, he addresses the use of our gifts to build the kingdom of God. Right? We often we kind of know that one. Right? If you use your gift, if your gift is prophesying, then then prophecy uh, then prophecy in in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve it. If it's teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's in giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. He, he's, he's teaching us a new way to look at works, and it's based upon grace, right? This gift of grace. Cause see, and, and what happens with the gift of grace is that we, you know, again, jumping back to the Beatitudes, uh, we see, blessed are they who are poor in spirit, when we begin to recognize the desire for God in our life, the gift of grace helps us detach from sin. What contradicts the love of God and purifies, begins to purify our heart. You know, that's that's a very powerful thing. We begin to see the world in a different perspective those things that maybe once mattered aren't as important anymore. We maybe begin to see how the pursuit of of a title or material wealth isn't as important as God's, God's love. We begin to see the true dignity of the human person We begin to see the sanctity of life from conception to natural death. We begin to see these things in a new, pure way. You know, grace is, is a call to participation in the life of God. It begins to introduce us into the intimacy of the Trinity. And that's where we get this great gift of sanctifying grace. It's a habitual gift. It's a habitual grace because it's it's desiring more permanent disposition to live and act in keeping God's call, God's commandments, but also it's it's distinct because it it aligns us with God's intentions in our life, right? And and we begin to see this conversion, this conversion to. Uh, a a a deeper love a deeper union with the trinity you know and and so as we sit here you know this this lent it's a chance to really sit back and and take a moment as we're practicing our prayer where is god calling you to that deeper union with him respond to that grace because here's the one thing about grace that is very important it's a free invitation but we have to respond God is never going to force his will for his will on us he will never force it on us And why do I say that's important why Why, why do I say that we see in Scripture I believe it's in Luke um, there is a uh, a gentleman who comes to Jesus and says, "Lord, what do I need to do to gain the kingdom of heaven?" And Jesus says to him, "Give away all that you own to the poor. Come, follow me." And the young man went away sad, for he had many possessions. And you know that scripture passage. It can do a lot of things for us, right? It can it can point out, in general, sometimes our desire for material possessions, material wealth. But I think more importantly, it points out how God gives freely to us, but doesn't force it force it on us. Jesus did not. We don't read in Scripture that Jesus went after him and told him what to do. We don't know actually. Um, scripture doesn't tell us but what we saw in that moment was a moment of god offering grace he was telling him what he needed to do to experience that true joy in his life and he walked away jesus didn't force it on him right god does not force this on us and i think that's what makes grace such a a true amazing gift that we begin to recognize how it's God's grace that that helps us grow in faith. It's God's grace that that emboldens our hope, especially maybe in difficult times, and hope for something better. And grace certainly enhances our charity, our love of neighbor. Because when we give purely, freely, without thinking about ourselves, when we truly give in that form of charity, we, we become the hands and feet of Christ. So this Lent is a chance for us to really not just repent, not just repent, but accept God's grace. God's grace and call to to true union with him, both now and in the future. So, if you haven't had the opportunity to go to confession this Lent, I encourage you to start there. Start there, because again, if especially if you're state of mortal sin, because in that instance, again, we're, we are unable to receive this amazing gift, this gift that can inflame our heart and, and and encourage and open our mind to to know and to seek and to love God. So start with confession. Start with the Sacrament of Re- Reconciliation. It's usually offered, you know, at, at parishes on Saturdays. Uh, my parish, uh, they're offering it on Friday nights right after Stations of the Cross as well. Um, take that time. I encourage you to to seek that out. Second, give thanks, give praise to God for this gift of grace. Pray to the Holy Spirit. For those especially in those times maybe we were struggling, or we need the strength of God, we need the guidance of God. We need the wisdom, the knowledge, right? That maybe we don't have. God will provide that at the right moment, every time. But our intention has to be pure. It's not for, for our own selfish need, but but if you're pure in heart, if you if you're pure with that intention, God, I God will will grant that to you. And take a moment now to this lent to really just respond. Respond to God's call in your life because again, as we deepen our faith, as we deepen this, we see how God will continue to bless in grace. The Blessed Mother is a, a, a wonderful example. Right? Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. The, the Blessed Mother did not, did not have an easy life. She went through trials just like us. The flight into Egypt was one. You know, the prophecy of Simeon, that her heart would be pierced. You know, th- there were countless times in which the Blessed Mother, especially too, at the crucifixion. But God always gave her the grace that she needed because she was open and centered into living for God. And today she can help still bestow grace as she seeks to intercede on our behalf. So, as as we prepare more for Easter, let us be mindful of this great gift that's available to us. As always, thank you for your time. Please consider liking, subscribing, sharing, and becoming a patron. Uh, of this show to help support all that we do here at vmy until next episode keep practicing